This special episode of the regular podcast is brought to you by Big Baller Brand. Y'all know I love it. Uh, I, you know, I can't afford the shoes yet, but guess what? They have t-shirts and sweatshirts for men, women, and children. You need to get over to BigBallerBrand.com and support the movement. Not only are you supporting the movement, but you're getting some nice clothes in exchange. They also have flip-flops for you, man. You can pre-order this ZO2s right now also. So get over to Big Baller Brand and make your purchase now. What's going on, everybody? We back for another episode of the regular podcast. You know it's... Uh, about episode about 30 something like that i think i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try, i'm not gonna hold y'all up too long but you know when i get in the mode i'm really in the mode and this week you know we're not really trying to bs with you at all so i'll get into my week what, what did i do this week uh i didn't do anything really my daughter got sick a couple of days ago so i had to leave work early go pick her up and, and chill with her while she was you know at home she caught one of the little stomach viruses that just you know the diarrhea was crazy so you know we don't had to deal with that you know and it, and it lasted for probably up until like this morning i guess it kind of chilled off this morning but you know four days of that that's all bad let me see what else did i do this week man you know just steady plotting on how i'm gonna figure out how to get this million dollar deal i don't i don't know how how i'm gonna make it happen and the reason i say million dollar deal is because I get paid off commission, so, you know, if I get a million-dollar deal, you know, I can eat a little bit. I might be able to eat um, eat, eat, uh, eat prawns instead of, um, instead of tuna or something. So, you know, we're going to figure out how to make that happen. But uh, other than that, everything was good. Y'all should hit me up at Kilo underscore Righteous on Twitter. Let me know how your week was, and then let me know how you feel about this podcast after you finish hearing it another thing you can follow me on is snapchat that is kilo mansa on snapchat and instagram you can follow me on there i'm not really that active but if you follow me i'll go look at your videos you know i just don't post a lot on there i post a lot on twitter and facebook though but this week i have a special guest man coming all the way from youngstown ohio introduce yourself brother yeah my name is uh, brian glenn um, you know, from Youngstown, Ohio, uh, you know, happy to be on the podcast, happy to share, uh, my thoughts and experiences. Um, you know, the, the, the topic that we're going to talk about today, uh, is very layered. Um, so, uh, my guy, you know, Jamar wanted to, uh, have a psychologist on the show, uh, to share some thoughts from my perspective. Uh, so yes, I am a psychologist and I will be sharing, uh, some things just from my perspective personally and some uh professionally yeah so um give them a little background about yourself you know what school did you go to uh what what area are you from in youngstown ohio you know things like that let them know something about you no doubt uh yeah i'm from youngstown ohio south side born and raised um uh, so anybody that knows me um uh, you know like i said straight off the south side um, went to uh, Sheridan Elementary, Hillman Middle, Wilson High School, uh, all public education, uh, no private school, no suburban school, nothing like that. I uh, was fortunate enough to go to YSU for all of my education. Um, yes, Youngstown State University, for those of you that don't know, uh, finished with a bachelor's in psychology 
in 2012, uh, a master's in education and intervention services in 2013, and then a uh, educational specialist degree uh, in school psychology in 2015, which allowed me to sit for a licensing exam uh, to be licensed as a school psychologist in uh, the state of Ohio, which I've been doing for the past two years. Uh, in addition to that, I also teach uh, psychology at a univers- at the university level um, at Eastern Gateway Community College, and I also teach um, a remedial reading course uh, that helps students who struggle with reading at Youngstown State University. Uh, so I do have a little bit of experience um, in a couple of different areas. Uh, like I said, I'd be happy to uh, share my, my thoughts and experiences. Mm-hmm. And listen, y'all, that that's that's education because one thing, I don't know, Brian, you probably have looked this up before, maybe you've heard about it. There are not a lot of black men with any degrees, let alone that level of education beyond high school. So that's a, that's a great thing to hear, man, especially coming from a place like Youngstown that was just ranked number one in poverty in America at 49% of the uh of the households making less than twenty two thousand. So it's a good thing. And then if, if y'all don't know, which I'm sure a lot of y'all don't know, um the schools that he named, like Hillman and Wilson, those are some rough schools, man. Like I, I I'm from the city too and you know Hillman was just like the South Side version of the school I went to, which is Hayes. And it was yeah. it was rough. It was a rough school. And then Wilson, just a South Side version of the school I played basketball at, which is Rand High School. So absolutely, Brian. You and the may- thing about Youngstown City Schools that people probably don't know that are listening is that um, I'm not sure about the numbers right now, uh, but when I was in high school, Youngstown City School District was uh, ranked the number one uh, lowest performing school district in Ohio, not like the top lowest percentile, fifth like number one. You know what I mean? The lowest, mm-hmm. absolute lowest uh, performing school district in the state of Ohio. Uh, that was Youngstown, Ohio, the school district that I graduated from. Yep. And and that's where we come from, and that's what we were able to emerge from. And y'all just heard everything he said. Now, he, he went to Youngstown State University. That is a four-year university. People from all over the world come to America and go to that university. They have a great – they have some great programs. And he was able to graduate from there and, and further his um, education for post-gra- uh, yeah, postgraduate. So – very, very intelligent brother, and we're gonna get into some things now. I seen a story a few days ago. Actually, I saw two stories that made me really just angry. I guess I want to say, and it made me want to do a podcast about this. Now, first, I saw a um, story on the Today Show about how white moms claim to be better parents when they smoke weed. Did you hear about that, Brian? I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Okay, so they did an actual story on the Today Show about that. Now, you know, Today Show is... That's (laughs) major. Yeah, it's a major situation. They did it, and it was like a good, happy show and everything like that. And then it brought up concerns about how pretty much these people are flaunting the fact that they smoke weed, and they're telling everybody, hey, yeah, we smoke it, and we have fun with it. It's actually, we smoke with our children, or we smoke while in possession of our children, and it actually helps us to um to to uh be better parents but then when we think back to a few years ago when they when a lot of our brothers were being locked up for that same thing 
So the I don't know if it's decriminalization of marijuana. That's the bigger story here or the criminalization of it in previous years that locked up so many of our men and took so many of them off of the street. And they didn't even get an opportunity to become greater parents while smoking weed. What do you think about that? Like how, how they um how they just, you know, plaster how much fun they're having with weed and not criminal activity. And it's not being criminalized. How you feel about that? Yeah, I mean that's crazy, man, because I mean if you look back years ago, um, that was something that was very frowned upon. Obviously it was a it was a criminal offense and still is. Um and and you know if you you got people on a Today Show bragging about it, but I mean, you could talk about in the, it being criminalized in the past. Um, it's still being criminalized till this day. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm, if I mean, and I don't do any drugs or anything like that, but if I'm driving and I get pulled over and they smell weed in the car, you better believe I'm going, I'm be, I'm gonna be locked up. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, different states have different laws and those types of things. Uh, but I think it'll be, you know, not too far from now where. I think we will be legal uh, all over the place. When you look at, like, I, I'm a big advocate for no substances, period. So I don't do, I, I don't drink alcohol, no cigarettes, no, to, no tobacco, no weed. Okay, uh, but when you look at something like alcohol, um, which is far more dangerous, far more uh, has far worse consequences uh, than weed does. I don't like either one, but if I had to choose, um, I would much rather someone be smoking weed. Uh, than be drinking alcohol, um, and we know all of the consequences, all of the statistics, the, the stats on uh, you know alcohol. But you know, it's it's, it's kind of like a good old boy uh, substance that people like, uh, and it's considered quote unquote legal. Um, so it's just ridiculous that they um, now all of a sudden want to make weed legal. And they want to make it uh, kind of like a good thing and talk about all the benefits. When people have been talking about that for years, talking about how it wasn't that bad, mm-hmm. you know, but it didn't matter. It didn't matter. You know, you, you, got, you got guys in jail 20, 30 years for selling weed. Yeah. And, you know, the most interesting thing about it, if you look at uh, most of the states that are decriminalizing weed or having me- medical marijuana laws, which make it legal pretty much, is uh, a lot of the c- states that are doing it are in the north the um the upper midwest or the west the highest concentrations of black people are in the south so you have pretty much from the the um southeast the southeast corner of america pretty much from virginia on down to louisiana those are right. places they're not budging at all when it comes to marijuana laws and that's where the highest yeah, concentrations right. of black people live at so that means you're that right. they can keep continue their prison. Um, because if you think about a lot of these states, a lot of these states down here, they don't have a lot of major cities. When you think about a place like Ohio, even though people think Ohio is the country, there's about five. It, it, there's there's three major cities in Ohio. You have Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati. Then you have Toledo, Youngstown, Akron. These were all major places for different production of different things. So there's cities. There's there's sure, rural, but then you have places like Georgia where there's pretty much one city. And that is Atlanta. The rest of it is rural. So they have to. And then you have places like Virginia, same thing. South Carolina, same thing. North Carolina, same thing. Most of the state is rural. They have to keep their economies up some kind of way. The way they do it is criminalizing a lot of things and building prisons out where only white people live. So that that's their economy out there. And that's why these states down here, they are far from legalizing marijuana in any way. 
definitely not just legal like California for recreational use. So I thought that was I thought that was an interesting story. And then I saw another one. I don't know if you saw this, which it was circulating around Facebook. It was a story about a guy named Wall Street. He's in prison for murder. Did you hear about that? And he he became um like a Wall Street guru. He was a stock investor. Yes. He's a stock yes, he's absolutely. a stock investor. Now, the thing that that bothered me the most about that was the fact that I mean, I'm I'm glad he's getting recognition for it. Some new laws just passed. Now he's able to go up for parole within the next 3 years, which is amazing, right? I don't like the fact that people right. people are so so shocked at the fact that a black man who quote unquote couldn't read a black man could learn stocks. The fact that that's such a big story uh, implies a lot to me. What what do you think about that? The fact that we're looked so we're looked at so much um, we looked at so negatively that when we do something that people a lot of people do, which uh, I would say a lot of white men do, we're looked at like whoa, this is a super black person right here, as if other black people can't do it. Also, how how do you see it? Yeah, that, that is frustrating, man. And I get that a lot. I won't say a lot, but I do get that when I tell people what I do. It's kind of like a big surprise, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and and, and, I, and I've been uh, and I I finished my education when I was twenty six, so I was pretty young as well. Um, and just from my appearance, you know, I'm a big black dude. Uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, obviously I try to dress professionally and those types of things. But if I'm like out with my family or something like that, you know, I have on just my regular clothes, you know what I mean? Like, you know where I'm from, I dress like where I'm from, you know, just as far as uh, being out and about, and I do get that a lot. And that is frustrating because I feel like, um, you know, we do have the intelligence, we do have, uh, you know, we have all the tools to do anything we want to do. What happens is you don't always get the opportunity, um, or you come from an environment that is so uh, chaotic um, and, and parasitic, that uh, it makes it difficult for you to uh, sometimes do those things, uh, but it's not that you know. That's kind of like propaganda that you know we. It takes like or or, or what will happen to me is like if I tell someone what I do, they'll make it seem like I have some type of special privilege, or I must have come from a, a certain type of family, mm-hmm. or I must be or or you you're, man, you must be real smart, you must be super intelligent. Yeah. I'm an intelligent person, but not any more intelligent than anybody else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I said. I'm not, I'm not anything special. I just worked hard. Um, so it, it is frustrating when, uh, you know, we're looked at, you know, in, in that type of light because we all could do it. Anybody could do anything they want if given the appropriate opportunity. And let me, let me say this real quick. When they do that, that's when people say things that allude to you are a magical black person or what they consider a magical Negro, it is, um, the basis of that is black people are not like this. So when you go to school for psychology, they just assume you're not it's, you're not a representative of black people. You're a representative of a super person, meaning there aren't any more of you. It's just you. So they can keep exactly. their stereotypes of us going, even though there's um, there's a whole lot of us. The problem is our access to information. So when you see all of these um, super intelligent black men mm-hmm. that are in prison, they learn so much in prison. The problem is they're already in prison. So when they come out, they don't. Nobody has to respect them as full citizens because they're technically not because they are felons at that point, and they have the background. And that's an easy way for them to write 
people off no matter what type of um, training they have so this man he didn't go to college or anything he taught himself how to invest now he's making a whole lot of money and he took the warren buffett pledge of he's gonna um donate 90 percent of all money that he earns over his life he's gonna do donate 90 percent of it so this whole this whole idea that you have to be something special to be a smart black man is crazy to me which leads yeah, us that's to, un it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because yeah. I don't want and, and some people. Um, if you got like a big ego, you would like to take that and say, "Yeah, I am." You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. I don't like that. I'd be like, "No, nah, I mean, I'm just a regular dude, like anybody else, man." I just I was fortunate enough to uh, be surrounded around some good friends. Uh, you know, have a pretty good upbringing, and you know, when I got to college, I really didn't know what, what I was doing. Uh, I was very unfamiliar with a lot of the vocabulary used in most of my courses. The first test I ever took, which was an anthropology course, I failed it very badly, thought about dropping out, um, and just happened to stick with it and got some good advice from some people, uh, changed the way I did things a little bit, and I was fortunate enough to, to get through. But by no means do I have a 140 IQ or anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, just worked hard and uh, was persistent. And you know, went through it just like every anybody else. Right, and and you can speak to this also because I, I think a lot of times when I say things, a lot of um because a lot of times we speak to white people in the fields that we're in. Like the field I'm in, I work with engineers, um, mechanical engineers and electrical engineers. Not a lot of black men actually. I'm the only. There's two black men that even work inside the building. I'm one of them. All right. So you hear you see a lot of times where they think. Um, where they, where they think there aren't many people like us, right? But we're both from the hood, right? You know right. other black men that you would consider smart because we went to school with these people. They're smart people. They just might have took a different path, correct? You know people like that, right? Oh, uh, man, no question about it, man. And, you know, and what is really unfortunate, and I actually wrote a, I wrote a, a paper when I was in college. I wrote a paper on this about a program that basically, um, like, to be implemented into uh, like a place like Youngstown City Schools in an urban district where it's like, okay, let's try to keep the good kids good. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That was basically the basis of the program. And for the, what the program was going to do was it was going to expose kids to, these are things that I do now currently, expose kids to different career options, expose kids to different uh, vocational options, uh, education options, and those types of things. Make sure that they get signed up for college. Make sure that they uh, know about financial aid opportunities. Make sure they understand how their grades in high school impact their grades in college, those types of things. I know so many people, man, that, you know, 10 times smarter than I am, but aren't doing what I'm doing just because it's really not set up for you to you know, to, 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 to go to college and be successful because when you're in a certain type of environment, like a, a school district that's poor performing, the people in the school district, they don't believe in you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like nobody influenced me to, to do what I'm doing. I just happened to do it. You know what I mean? Like basically from like my, a couple of friends that I had that were in college. Yep. You know what I mean? That type of Yep. And that's uh, the like crazy. For me personally, go ahead. for me personally, like I didn't, I didn't even like most people like, okay, your senior year, around April, May, you're filling out your college applications, okay, you're filling out, you know, you're getting your financial aid together, and you already set up to start school in the fall, in August, all right? I didn't start school in, in, in August after graduating. I didn't start until the spring. I didn't have nothing set up. I never did financial aid fast when I was in high school. I didn't do none of that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And for most people that get to where I am, 
they have that set up. You know what I mean? So when they 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 in high school, they already working on everything, and they go to college right out. I didn't do that. I I just happened to go because I had some buddies that was going, and I felt like I wasn't doing anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not like I just like had everything set up, and I had a bunch of scholarships, and I had you know different schools competing for me to get me to go there. Nothing like that. I just happened to say, you know what. I, I want to do something with my life. This is what I want to do. So let me try. And I just gave it a shot and happened to be successful with it. But it's a lot of people who, you know, don't give it a shot. You know what I mean? Yep. And, or they get intimidated. And in and, 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 and college and, and really any career field that is, uh, how can I say it? Any career field that is prestigious, um, it's, it's intimidating if you don't come from that. Mm-hmm. It's intimidating. The, I, what I consider that the reason that that happens so much I don't think that we are so much intimidated by it because that is a good word, but I don't think it's that though. I think it's, we just don't think it applies to us because when you, right. when you grow up in Youngstown, it's not even like everybody's not a drug dealer. Everybody's not a killer. But what, what people do do when we when we grow up is everybody thinks that the best job in the city is working at GM. GM is GM. Gen- General Motors. They make vehicles for everybody who's not from Youngstown or they don't live by a car plant. The best job in the city was GM. Those were the they people. They make the Chevy Cruze. They make you don't the, know what the Chevy yeah. Cruze is. They make the Chevy Cruze, like a small sedan. Yep, and that's what we see. So even even though GM is a good uh, money maker for our area, it's not enough for everybody to aspire to go work there because you don't need a degree to work there you just it makes you think i'll just get out of school and i'll meet the right person that can get me in there so it doesn't make you think i'll go be a psychologist i'll go be an engineer i'll go be a doctor so i think it's really we don't we don't see these things as for us that's why it's good to have somebody like you out here that's actually from the city and you still live in the city after you got your degree and you're working professionally in the city with with the kids and i saw you do a um a shoe drive. You gave a lot of shoes back. Another thing I wanted to say about us knowing people that were smart that just went another path. Like even my little brother, my little brother. When we were kids, my little brother was the one that had the better grades. I never really had good grades because I really didn't like school. But he had the better grades, right? But he just something happened along the way where it just went on a different path. Now he's doing uh, a ten to thirty year sentence in uh, Nevada right now. You know what I mean? And he was the one getting getting straight A's. He was the one that was good at reading. He was just a better student. Yeah. He was good. He was good right. in school at early on. And it's something ha- happened where I guess, like you said, they have a program now. They didn't have a program back then to keep the good kids good. And that's what we need to do because all of our friends, they were good when we were young kids in elementary school. The people that became thugs or whatever you want to street dudes, they weren't street dudes when they were seven years old, eight years old. So nah. we need to definitely figure out how to how to do that. And what you work in the school system? I don't work. So yeah, I work. I don't work um, in Youngstown City Schools. I applied when I, I did my internship in Youngstown City Schools. I applied uh, to work in Youngstown City Schools. I interviewed there, but I was not selected for the job. Uh, so I currently work um, in Columbiana County. Uh, which is south of Youngstown, uh, a very, very different environment um, than Youngstown uh, demographically, uh, not necessarily economically. It's kind of similar, uh, but it's like a rural uh, type of uh, environment. And that's why I'm working currently uh, yeah, because I was not selected uh, for a position in Youngstown City Schools. Okay. Do you ever, how, what would you say the black population is in that school system? 
where I work about uh, one or two percent. Damn. So yeah, do you ever get to interact with the? I mean, do you still live in Youngstown? I still live in Youngstown. Yeah, so I live in Youngstown, and um, so for me, like uh, you know, I, I was very disappointed when I wasn't selected to work in Youngstown. Uh, it was kind of like one of my main reasons for going to school was to try to uh, get a degree in psychology and help uh, students. Uh, who are struggling with mental health uh, in the city of Youngstown and uh, most notably in the, in the school district in Youngstown City Schools where I went to school. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't selected for that position, uh, but I always told myself, despite not working in Youngstown, uh, my passion for helping Youngstown is still there. So uh, I do all types of different uh, community uh, outreach activities. Uh, I currently partner with an a organization called... Um, Neighborhood Ministries. Uh, with Neighborhood Ministries, uh, it's a it's, it, the hub is in the Kimmelbrooks Projects, uh, which is a housing project in Youngstown, and uh, I do all kind of different programs uh, with the kids in, in that community as well as some other communities in Youngstown. So although I don't work in Youngstown, uh, my passion for helping Youngstown is still there. So uh, I, I kind of uh, help Youngstown on my, on my own time, which is a little bit more rewarding for me actually. What are the what are the age ranges of these children that you help? Um, anywhere from probably about eight or nine all the way up to eighteen. Okay, okay. And how do yeah, you feel like? Do all types of, huh? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. How, when you when go you ahead, see these you. kids, do you feel like you can tell who's kind of going that that criminal route, or is it really just when, when things happen, you just never saw it coming type of thing? Um, I mean, you can definitely tell the, I mean, you can definitely tell a little bit of a difference, um, between some of the kids. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, obviously there's exceptions to every rule. Um, and there's, there's, there's kids that, uh, you know, were, uh, poorly behaved kids when they were a kid that, that you know, ended up growing up and, and maturing and, and doing some great things. And there's kids, like you said, like your brother, for example, who, you know, were great kids but went down the wrong path. So there's exceptions to every rule. Um, but there are kids where you say, you know, you really try to reason with them. You really try to assist them. And you say, man, I don't, you know, this, if this kid don't get his act together uh, because of his impulsiveness, because of his aggression, uh, it's going to end up getting him in some trouble. Um, you could definitely... Uh, you know, you, it, it at least crosses your mind when you deal with certain kids uh, who have certain types of behaviors. Yeah. Because you're still up there and I'm not there anymore. How are you feeling that um, the prison, the, the mass incarceration is affecting the city? Because I don't know, uh, my family is not from Youngstown. I just grew up there. But as far as people growing up without their dad because their dad's in prison, how do you feel like that affected how the city turned out or is turning out oh man 100 percent. i mean that's the biggest thing and, and and you know for me when i look at it okay i mean whether it's uh, males or females like you need a father you know you understand what i'm saying yeah. and i feel like uh you know you know and some people will call it a conspiracy or a conspiracy theory but i say every conspiracy is not a theory some conspiracies are real you know what i mean so i feel like uh you know it was definitely a kind of a planned thing. Like if you take a father out of a household, if you take fathers out of, of, a, of a community, there's going to be some negative uh, things that's going to happen in that community, in that household because of that. 
And a lot of the kids, like a lot of the kids, okay, so you can look at it from a, a, a bunch of different perspectives. For one, you don't have the discipline. You don't have a father. You don't have the discipline that a father brings. There's certain things that a, 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 a male or a female must learn from their father. Like my dad taught me countless amount of lessons that my mother or grandmother could not teach me. You, you understand what I'm saying? So you have the discipline. Two, you have the economic impact. So you have a lot of women, and like like in the Kimmelbrooks, for example, where I do a lot of my volunteering at, most of the households, in order to even live there, are all single-parent households uh, and mostly single-mother households. And it's very difficult for these women. And you could say, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps or, or work it out or whatever the case may be, but it's very difficult for these women to make any progress when they're raising these children and they don't have any assistance or help. And that's a very difficult thing to do. So when you take those uh, those fathers out of those households, um, it just puts a, it puts a, it puts a, it, it's very difficult. Uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have some impact. You can't tell me that's not going to have impact. And when you look at it, I'm looking at a stat now that has um, black men per capita being incarcerated um, from the 2010 census at 2,207 per 100,000 people, as opposed to white men at 380. Th like not 380,000 just 380 per 100,000 yeah. per 100,000 right. incarcerated so when you look at the economic impact of that we're only we're one-fifth like the black population is one-fifth of the white population yet we are incarcerated at what what is that let me see six times the incarceration rate so right you know is is definitely destroying a lot not just Youngstown it's destroying America because you have yeah, communities all over and most yeah. people would look at that and they okay they would look at that and they would say okay you guys are being incarcerated at a uh at a sixfold um rate than we are because you guys are just bad people you guys are just more dangerous you guys are just more impulsive you're more likely to be criminals and most people what people don't understand like like we just talked about where i work is 90 probably 99 98% white most people don't have interactions on a day-to-day -day basis or, or, or I would say gainful interactions with people that are different from them. Even though segregation is not, uh, you know, a law, people are still, for the most part, fairly segregated um, in, in most places, aside from maybe like major, major cities. So, and even in major cities, people don't interact with each other as much as they probably should. So people don't interact with each other. So once you see those types of numbers, we look at it and say, man, something that's going on, there's something that is causing this that is, uh, that is, you know, uh, you know, something some from uh, a, a structural perspective, but people from different races are looking at that and saying there's something that you guys are doing. So that's kind of the disconnect uh, because people don't interact with each other. So you see these numbers, you see these, this media and you say, well, man, black folks must just be real dangerous. And, uh, that kind of furthers the gap between us and, and, and makes it, it makes, uh, people more prejudiced, more racist, uh, because we don't interact with each other. We don't get to know each other. We don't get to know the truth behind some of these things that are occurring. Yeah. And you know, um, it's interesting that you brought up the part that you said um, people look at us as if we are incarcerated at higher rates because we are committing the most crimes. And then a lot of people point to the fact that our communities are destroyed. So, of course, we commit a lot of crimes. Right. But then when I look at the numbers, the numbers don't support that. Right. So I have a chart here talking about um, violent crimes, victims versus who is committing the crime or offender 
of that victim, right? Right. Total violence. This is annually. Total annual violent crimes. 6.48 million, right? Okay. 42.9% of that is committed by white people. Now, yes, that's far below their um, balance in demographic nationally, right? That's like 20% lower than the uh, percentage that they make up in the entire population. But it's still right. it's still at least 20% higher than any other group, right? So, right. So at 6.4 million and 42% that means 2.7 million of the violent crimes annually are committed by white people. Now, violent crimes, I'm, I'm pointing out violent crimes because those are the ones that you really can't argue against those people being locked up, right? Because right. you are physically right. violating somebody else. When it comes to it hurts like... somebody, it is what it is. Yeah, it when it, somebody, it is. Yeah, you're going, and to, you're going I, to jail I, for I'm going to let you continue. I'm going to let you continue, but I want to make a quick point mm -hmm. for black folks. If, 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 you know, because I'll see like a white cop will kill somebody, right? And people will defend that person and say, uh, you know, oh, he, 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 the situation was this or whatever the case may be. For me, as a black person, if one of, if one of my brothers kills somebody or does something like that, I'm not, we're not defending those guys, right? Mm -hmm. We're not saying, oh, man, it's not, if you kill somebody, you hurt somebody, it kind of just is what it is. You know what I mean? Right. It is what it is. We're not, we're not defending those guys that are doing those violent crimes at all whatsoever. Right. I think that's important to note. Right. So that's why I'm going directly into violent crimes because there's really nothing. You know, these are what I would say. The, the This is the real crime right here. You know, drug stuff, which is the majority of people locked up is from drug stuff. That's where black people catch up to everybody and pass everybody because it's economic. Right. But anyway, let's stick on to this violent thing. If white people are committing 2.7 million violent offenses yearly, right, annually, black people are committing... It's still a lot, 950,000 total. Um, no, 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 no. Black people are committing 594,000 total crime, total violent crimes annually, right? right? Now, even right. though that is a tremendous number, still a high number, right? It's still, sure. it's still less than 25% of what white people are doing. Yet, we are incarcerated at 600% what they are so this means that when we talked about that first story with the marijuana this means that they have to work in overdrive to figure out ways to keep us as over 50 percent incarcerated people in america how is right. it that how is it that we're incarcerated 600 percent of them but they're committing um they're committing what was that uh four times the violent, they commit four times yeah. the violent crimes that we commit Right. So that's 400 percent. They're committing 400 percent the violent crimes we commit. And we're locked up 600 percent of the rate that they are. So the numbers don't add up. That means that they're looking for things like drug offenses. They're looking for things like um, theft. They're looking for things like traffic violations. They're looking for all kinds of different things to figure out how to keep us locked down. Now, let's just let's just try to speculate here. What do you think is, what do you think that they benefit from locking up black men at these rates? How do I think it's beneficial to them? Yeah, why do you, um, what, what do you well, think they benefit? Just let, we're, we're on the outside looking in. We can't prove this, but let's just say, what, what do you think they benefit? I mean, I feel like the prison system is a, a big part of the United States economy. I mean, as the, as a, as a, and, and a lot of people don't understand, like, 
the uh, United States is not a very big country. I mean, it's, it's a large country, but there are plenty of countries uh, in the in, in the world that are a lot larger than we are. You know what I mean? Like, in the United States, we don't even have a billion people in the United States. You understand what I'm saying? Like, there's a billion people in India. There's a, a, a billion people in China. There's a lot of places in Africa, some places in Europe that are larger than the United States. But we we put more people in prison than uh, by by far, by far, for, especially for us to be a developed nation, by far more than anybody else. And I think that that's a big part of our economy uh, is, is our prison system. And I've watched plenty of documentaries on the prison system and on law enforcement system and how, uh, you know, there's so many different industries that rely on the prisons uh, being full, that rely on the prisons being, uh, you know, continuing to uh, flourish. Uh, all type of different companies that make different types of weapons and the stuff that the guards wear, <clears throat> the equipment, the food, the, the building the prisons, all those different things, uh, you know, go into the economy. And I think that's a big part of the United States economy. It's a big part of the United States economy that, that nobody wants to talk about. It is. And, and, it's probably, and it's probably one of the things in the economy in the United States that's the most stable. You yeah. can, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know how many things you can name that are more stable uh, economically than the prison system in the United States. There's nothing more stable because it's free labor. So that means the companies that benefit from those from that slave labor, it um, they will always remain. They're not paying for anything, which is how the comp this is how the country was built. So that's a good point. America has so of so America is only uh, about one sixth of the entire world's population. So that's about sixteen percent of right. the entire world's population. Right at like 320 million people currently. Exactly. But America has 25% of the entire world's population, which is far greater than any other country. Right? 25%. Half of the people in prison in America are black men. That means that 12.5% of the entire world's population is black men in America. Just think about that. A group that is only 6% of America's population, which means we're only, let me see, let me do the math real quick. 6% of the world's population, what's 6% of 16%? Let's see, divided by, let me see. It's a low number. We're like, we're like two, we like 1% of the world's population and we make up 12.5% of the world's prison population. Right. Right. So this is very sickening. Right. And so I can see the economic side, but I really I feel like I feel like the economic benefit is a byproduct. I think it's just a, okay. a side effect, a positive side effect. I think the way they benefit from incarcerating this many black people and for as long as they incarcerate this amount of black people, it's about competition. They did. They didn't want to compete with us in 1866 and they don't want to compete with us now. They see the when you look at the patterns of black people, it takes us no time to correct ourselves. What, what do I mean by that? And right in 1865, we were slaves or we just got out of slavery that, that year. Right. The next year, then you start seeing black people want schooling. A few years after that, black people are becoming politicians. A few years after that, we start building our own communities that don't need white wealth at all. That's what that's where the whole KKK came from. That's when Jim Crow crap started. All almost all of the lynchings and hangings and all of that stuff in American history happened after slavery. The reason right. is because they were they were calling us uppity. 
And they were saying, oh, you're getting smart with me, but all that type shit. They don't want to compete with us. They didn't want to compete with us then. They don't want to compete with us now. They don't have to compete with the black woman that just grew up without a father because she has mental issues because she didn't have a stable family. She might have had a good mother. She might have grew up and got a degree, but she's still not stable because she didn't grow up stable. She can try to correct herself and she can become, you know, she can be as, as successful as she wants. But the people in power know that if you if you're fighting, if you're competing with someone that's handicapped, they have to fix themselves before they can ever catch up to you. So right. I think it's much, much more about them not wanting to compete with us than than anything else, even though they are benefiting economically from it. And not just they is some black people are benefiting economically from it. And it help it, it makes some of us not speak out more about it. When I say benefit right. economically, I'm saying there's a lot of black police officers that end up taking. They're pretty much they're pretty much white people inside in blackface. They go around harassing black people also the same way. You got black parole, uh, probation officers and parole officers. They do the exact same thing. You got yeah. um, you have black judges. They want to be hard because they don't want to be looked at as favoring black people. So they go harder. Yeah. You know, it's almost like yeah, a reverse definitely psychology. Once, definitely, once, if you, definitely when you get in certain industries, um, you kind of got to toe that line, um, you know, where you may not, you know what I mean, for self-preservation, where you may not be in that industry as long as you would like. Most yeah. definitely. That's true, man. And so I see, I definitely know about the economic side. You know, when I was making 45 cents an hour in there. And some people, when you talk about people in the South, they don't get paid down here. What I was told about Georgia, no. pri huh? Jo Hello. Yeah, I'm here. I'm okay. here. Yeah, and Georgia prison systems, they don't get paid at all. The food that they have to eat is the food that they grow. They got to, so they're out there farming every day. They're not allowed to stay in the cells. They're not allowed to stay in the buildings. That they have to wake up in the morning. They eat and they go to the fields. Yeah, man. They go straight yeah. to the fields. They have to work the fields. They have to grow the food that they want to eat. And that's like Texas. That's Louisiana. That's uh, Mississippi. That's just southern jails. If you start going to jails up north, it's nothing like that. It's almost yeah. like good, it's almost like good slavery versus bad slavery. If you you can read right. a, a book from the eighteen hundreds, and when they talk about stuff like that, it sounds exactly the same, man. Where they talk about plantation owners that were nicer, so so the slaves would actually talk the talk other slaves into staying instead of running away it's the same yeah, kind of like uh kind of like uh google <laughs> kind of like google they treat the employees real good you know what i mean you get better productivity yeah yeah you get rewarded for how much let me see how many bags of cotton can you bring back today oh and then they start reward so now you forget that you're a slave now all you think about is competing with other slaves because you just want to have the most cotton today it's the same thing. Right. It's the same thing in prison. That's why you got so many people in there. They might help you. They might even help you bring tobacco in. But once you get to a certain level, then they're going to tell on you and get you up out of there. Now you just caught another charge. So, yeah, man, it's, it's what what do you think? What do you think? When, when black people become prosecutors. Do you think that they are? doing the same thing I just said where they're going harder or are they looking for that reform that they talked about or thought about as kids? 
Um, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of hard to say, man. I mean, you know, obviously everybody is not the same. Um, everybody is not, you know, uh, ha- everybody doesn't have the same intentions. Uh, but I, I would, I would assume, uh, just knowing the different types of black folks there are uh, in the country, everybody's not built the same way. Everybody doesn't have the same ideas. Um, I would, if I, if I, if I was, uh, you know, being prosecuted, I don't think I would expect any type of favorable treatment from a black prosecutor. Um, I would think that he would be in that particular field um, because he, you know, I I would assume that that person has the same views as the other people in that field. That's why he got in that field. That's what I would assume. That's a good assumption. I guess I guess I agree with that because there's really if you think about it, the prosecutor's job is to lock people up and they their job is not to select who comes in front of them. So if the majority of the people coming in front of them fit the bill, then they're still going to try to lock them up. So I guess that makes yeah. sense, man. What about black? Yeah, and a lot of the a lot a lot of the assumptions that we talked about earlier, as far as white people making them about us being in prison, us being uh, you know uh, plastered all over the media for all these different negative things, that not only impacts the way white people look at us, but it impacts the way other black people look at us as well. Definitely. So that's a, that's a, a point to think about. You know what I mean? Definitely. Some people like you know they they, they feel the same way. Feel. You know, they feel like, uh, you know, they own people. You know, they feel like, yeah, man, black folks is dangerous. You know, I, I want to go move out in the suburbs, live in the suburbs where it's safer, blah, 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 blah. You've heard that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same thing. You know, it, it, it impacts us just as well as it impacts them, And you know, as far as how we are viewed. Yeah. that That's like, um, that's why I stopped watching those videos of people being killed by the police or people being killed on Facebook about anything, but mostly those videos of people being killed by the police because my brain my brain was not constructed with the idea of this is fake or this is real. If I continue to see it, my brain just knows I saw it. It doesn't know how I saw it happen. It just knows that I just saw a black man get shot however many times by the police and drop. And I used to be a 16-year-old black man also, so I'm thinking... 16 year old black men get shot by the police not that i'm thinking it but subconsciously all of that is going on just from seeing this imagery yeah so right in in psychology when you go to school can you talk about how they teach it do they frame it in any way as if um it's is there's any difference between the races or is it just blanket psychology um let me think. Not really. Um, as far as like, you mean differences as far as like better or worse or just differences in general? Differences in how you would approach a patient. Oh, no, not at all. No, not at all. I mean, um, no, no, no. There weren't any differences. Um, no. But I will say like I took, I minored in social work. Okay. So I, I will say I thought it was very interesting. I took a course that was like a culture course that like taught you about different cultures. Okay. So we learned about obviously black people. We learned about Hispanics. We learned about Asians. We learned about Arabs. We learned about, uh, immigrants opposed to people that were born here. Uh, all these different things we learned about. There was not a chapter in the book on, uh, Caucasian people, which I thought was very interesting because, that's one thing about college. College is not necessarily made. This curriculum is made primarily for Caucasian people. Um, so I remember in the course, I remember I one that we were you know, going through each chapter, 
And I was like, okay, so we're learning about, okay, if I'm a social worker and I encounter, uh, you know, an African-American uh, client, these are the types of things I can expect, so on and so forth. I did take that course. Okay, I said, okay, so what about me? If I'm a black social worker and I encounter a white client, where's the chapter in the book for, so I can know what to expect? Hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so I did take that course. Uh, but that was a social work course, not a psychology course. Um, but yeah, I, I did think that was very interesting how, you know, uh, you know, there's no chapter in that book. Um, there's no, there's no, there's no PowerPoint slot in the curriculum on Caucasian people and their differences from us. Uh, I guess their culture is kind of like the status quo and our culture, it would, I guess would be considered a difference. Or exotic. So what, what do you think that, so you think that implies that it's made for for um white people to be in those positions and learning about other people as opposed to other people coming into a white community and helping out white children exactly exactly hmm. exactly that's interesting now i guess i i guess i could um, imagine that being true but i never really thought about it until right now when i just asked you that question i never thought about how they teach um people uh, people that work with um like social workers and psychologists and therapists and counselors. I never thought about the uh, racial lessons that they teach, but that is interesting though, right. that they don't assume. I, I think that it's when you're the powerful dominant society, of course, you're not going to look at anybody else that like they can come into your community and help you out because you see right. the stories of the blind side often, you know what I'm saying? Like right. you know, the movie The Blind Side. You see that where you know some a good white person will come in and they'll just teach the young ignorant black kid everything they never knew about life. You know, they probably never been in a car with all these buttons or they, you know, just random shit that yeah. they think we just never experienced. Like, but you yeah, never, you will never. Well, there's one good movie though. There is one, and I said this movie needs to be out here. A guy named Roger Bob made a movie about a black family saving two young white orphan girls. And Roger Bob is somebody that came up under um, Tyler Perry. So I thought that was very okay. interesting. When you look at Tyler Perry movies, it's almost like the worst black stereotypes in history. And then he broke right. away from Tyler Perry and he decided to make a movie showing a black man and a black woman taking in these two white kids and saving them. That is, I don't think that has ever been done before. I haven't seen anything like that. So, yeah, I think that approach in um, teaching psychology majors is, is interesting, or social work majors and psychology. Well, you said they didn't teach it in psychology, just in social work. Yeah, so in psychology, like my psychology courses and, and like counseling courses that I, I took, um, there wasn't anything that I can remember uh, that that dealt with race uh, specifically. Everything was just about the different psychological disorders, the different uh, uh, different problems that people might encounter. But it was all blanket. Nothing was. They didn't divide up anything as far as race uh, that I can remember. Growing up on the South Side, how many? How many? Um, just would you say you grew up with or went to school with at least five people that were killed before they turned twenty five? Absolutely, no question about it. More than five, definitely more than, more than five. five. Right? We knew probably more than five, five. during high school. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. How, how do you Way think? How five. do you think? Because I, f I have my theories about what that's doing to us. How do you feel like that um, affects all black people that come from environments like we come from? 
I, it's very impactful, man. You know what? Because you know what's what's crazy is I remember when I was a kid. I don't know how old I was um, exactly, but I remember as a kid, like thinking about like what it's gonna feel like when I get shot. Mm. Not like if I get shot, but I remember wondering like what it's gonna feel like when I get shot. You know what I mean? I remember thinking that um, because it was so common. Uh, and, and right in your own community, right in your own backyard, people be getting shot. You hear about it. You go to school. So and so's, uh, you know, brother got shot. So and so's uncle got shot. So and so's dad got shot. And then you know, now you then once you started getting a little bit older, middle school and high school. And middle school, I have I know people that got shot when I was in middle school. So once you go to middle school and high school, now you know people personally that are getting shot. And you really feel like this is not like an uh, optional thing. It's like something that is going to eventually happen to you. Um, so it just gives us such a ne- a negative uh, pers- perspective and outlook on everything. Um, and you see a lot of guys out here that say, well, I don't care. I'm not afraid to die, so on and so forth, because I think they feel like it's inevitable. Um, it's not something that you can avoid, um, so on and so forth. And, that, and that's really unfortunate because um, as someone in their 20s, uh, in their teens, uh, death should be the f- furthest thing from your mind. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be thinking anything about death. You should be thinking about the future and having children and getting married or, or goals that you have, whatever the case may be. Uh, but death shouldn't be something that you would even be remotely thinking about. Yeah, that's interesting or, that you say that because I also used to think the same thing about, I, but I didn't think about what it's going to feel like when it gets when I get shot. I always think about what types of shots can I take and still survive? You know what right. I'm saying? Because I'm like, okay, I just feel like it's going to happen. And I, and I always... Like when I used to, you know, I had a living in my living room in Youngstown. We had a couch right in front of the um, window. If I would sit on that couch, yeah. I would lay lay my head down because I'm like, nah, I don't think I could survive that one. I always thought about yeah. which which kinds of shots. So I'm like, okay, if I get shot in the arm or the leg, I'm good. But I got to figure out like I got to move the right way when somebody's shooting so I don't get hit in the body, you know, the organs of my head. I always think about headshots. Right. It's not really I could do about a headshot. So it's interesting that you said that because <laughs> that's crazy. Like we both black men, we don't. We, it's not like we grew up next door to each other. We from the same city, but right. it's like if it's, if we both think this, that means a, probably a lot of other people that are like us feel the same way. I, I, I think it's important to note as well. I think it's important to note. It's not like my. I can't speak for you, but I, I'm pretty sure I can. But I can definitely speak for myself. It's not like I'm a criminal, okay? And I and I and that I'm looking over my shoulder because I just beat some dude up or I just shot some dude so I'm wondering about getting shot I'm a good kid I'm mm-hmm. an honor roll kid and I'm thinking about this because of the environment that I'm in so yeah. I think that's important to note as well it's not like I'm a I'm a I'm a career criminal and I'm thinking about getting shot I'm a great kid honor roll perfect attendance kid and because of the environment that I'm in these are still things that cross my mind uh as being significant issues right and that that's true it's it's not like we're out here you know, we're not out here being big Meech, having a reason no, to having a reason to be looking over our shoulder like that. So I not I think all. that I think that's very interesting. And what what would you say about um? It's I f- I really feel like there is a an inherent innate. You know, we're born with this PTSD. How do you feel about just that that type of trauma and having to grow up and cope with the fact that people around you are dying or going to prison at the race that they go to. And Youngstown is a smaller city too. It's only about 60 to 70,000 people in Youngstown. 
Right. So everybody pretty much knows everybody. There's a personal connection to pretty much every murder that happens. Yeah. So how you feel like sure. that? That um and, and all these untreated, all this untreated PTSD. How you feel about untreated PTSD in the black community? Yeah, I mean, I mean, for one, I mean, it's untreated because it's undiagnosed. Uh, most of the time, we don't seek uh, mental health because we are raised. Um, we are raised to deal with everything. You know, you got to be tough. You got to be strong. You got to be tough. You got to be strong. Um, so when you are dealing with certain things, like I said, those types of thoughts that we just talked about should not even be crossing your mind. So if you're thinking about those types of things and thinking about them often, and they're impacting the way that you move, the way you think, um, you know, you have uh, you you have some. There's some mental health concerns there, no question about it. Um, but most of the time, it goes un, untreated because it goes undiagnosed. Uh, most people. Um, you don't even think about your mental health until it's too late. Um, and that's really unfortunate. And a lot of the kids, uh, we talk about like kids without a father, kids that grow up in certain environments, kids that grow up with fathers who sell drugs, um, and those different types of things, uh, all different, uh, kinds of things that you experience. Um, uh, it definitely has an impact on you. And, uh, and probably I would say in our, in a community like this, probably 90% of it goes untreated, you know, anywhere from 75 to 90% of it goes untreated. And I remember, like, for me, like, I experienced certain things, like being robbed at gunpoint. Uh, you know, I, I remember as a kid, I lived, we lived in an apartment building on the second floor, and the guy on the first floor that lived below us, he sold drugs. And one day somebody came and, like, shot up his place. And, like, while we were upstairs, you know what I mean? Like, I experienced those things firsthand. I, I really I really went through those things. You know, I, mean, I had that guy robbed, robbed, you know, robbed myself, uh, my grandfather, my grandmother at gunpoint. You know what I mean? I experienced those things. Yeah. Um, but I've never had any type of, you know what I mean? There was no treatment. There was no, okay, you had a, a, a tra traumatic experience. Uh, let's, let's, let's do something about it. Let's make sure that you're okay. Uh, it was kind of like, you know, we, we filed a police report. And after the next day, I was right back watching wrestling and eating cereal like it was nothing happening. You know what I mean? But yeah. deep inside, those things are impacting me, even though I'm trying to deal with it and trying to keep my face like everything is all good. Um, it, deep inside, those things are impacting you. Every experience impacts you one way or another, positively or negatively. Um, and, and we just kind of deal with those things. We don't, we don't get those things treated. Uh, we don't even talk about those things. Like we, like I said, we just move on from it. The next day I'm watching, I'm eating cereal, watching wrestling, like nothing happened, man. I was robbed at gunpoint the day before. And my, and my grandmother was robbed at gunpoint. And at the, 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 the particular story that I'm talking about, my mother had a stroke when I was 10 years old. And she couldn't walk, okay? Mm -hmm. So, or she could walk, but she could barely walk. And the guy that was robbing us, he was dragging my mother, and he thought that she was resisting. If you know anything about a person that has a stroke, they can't use one side of their body. Mm -hmm. or one, of the, one side of their body is severely impacted by the stroke. So he's thinking that she's, like, resisting coming with him. He's dragging her, and he's like, I'm going to kill you, you know what I mean, blah, 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 if you don't come. And we're trying to explain to him, like, you know, she can barely walk, she can barely walk. You know what I mean? This is something I experienced when I was like 12 years old. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. This dude has a gun in my mom's head. He has a gun in my head. He has a gun in my grandmother's head. My little brother is in the car. My little brother is probably like six years old. I went through that experience in real life. It's not a movie. I experienced it. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And there was nothing. There was nothing. There, nothing came of it as far as me or anybody else in my family uh, dealing with the impact. Uh, that that had on us of being robbed at gunpoint uh, by this guy, and, and, me, and me seeing my mother, who could all, already barely walk, being dragged uh, by this guy, this guy threatening to kill her if she doesn't walk, and me knowing that she can't walk, and me trying to explain that to this guy as a, as a twelve year old kid.
You yeah. understand what I'm saying? I feel so you have that type of experience, very traumatic experience. I mean, you could put that on Oprah. You could put that on Dr. Phil, right? Mm-hmm. right? You could put it on Dr. Phil. People would tune in and watch. They would say, hey, this is an interesting uh, story that I'm reading about. Okay? But for me, nothing. There was nothing done about it. Not, no no treatment. Not, not even talked about it. Watching wrestling the next day, eating a bowl of cereal. Yeah. And that's what we go through. And that is what we go through. And, okay, so how do you feel that we can get black people more comfortable? Because uh, I want to I make it clear to anybody listening, this is not just our city. We just happen to be from the city. There's so many cities around the country where black people are going through this type of stuff and they're not getting treated. And the reason they're not getting treated is because of our perception of psychologists and of our perception of doctors. We don't trust any doctors. We don't trust any treatments. So that's that's uh, one of our biggest issues. So what do you think we could do to get black people more um, in tune with mental health treatment? Um, I mean, I, I feel like it would be very important um, to get some more black professionals working in the community, um, you know, m- mental health professionals. And there are some, um, and, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of them do a good job uh, and have great intentions and those types of things. But I, I just feel like uh, that would be that would be, that would be beneficial to have because at the end of the day, people only, um, you know, it, something someone that's similar to what they are. You know what I mean? Just like if I'm a woman and I want to go and I want to buy a wedding dress, I'm going to buy a wedding dress probably from a woman. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not going to be buying a wedding dress from some man. So I'm going to buy a wedding dress from someone that I feel like can relate to me and someone that I feel like I can trust. Uh, and and for minorities in this country. Uh, like I said, white folks, they don't necessarily have to think about that in most cases because uh, they go into an office and receive treatment from someone that looks like them. Uh, we we Minorities are, the, are ones that have to go into an office and they'd be likely to receive treatment from someone that doesn't look like us, that we don't think understand us. So like you said, the trust isn't there. Um, and I don't know what you can do about that. Um, I don't know that we, well, how, you, how you can establish that trust because that trust is, you know, that's, that's, that's 400 year old, uh, you know, trust issues, you know what I mean? Um, but, uh, you know, having more black mental health professionals, I definitely think would, uh, help, you know, people, uh, seek that out a little bit more. And also, uh, knowing that just because you have a problem, just because you have something going on, doesn't make you weak. It just makes you human. You know, it just makes you human. That's true. I think, I think, um, I don't know how to get us to start seeking medical treatment more as far as mental i think one of the biggest issues is we don't look at mental health as a medical issue that's one of the biggest things even though stress erodes our our, um erodes our organs it takes a long time but it still does it but i think one of the one of our biggest issues as black people when it comes to mental health is we compare our issues to other people who we perceive to have worse situations so, right. you know, growing up, if you don't want to eat something, what, the, what would the parents say? It's starving kids in Africa. That don't have right. anything to do with your situation. So if I say, if you, let's just say you said, I saw, I got robbed at gunpoint. Another person will come to you and say, man, that's nothing. I got robbed and shot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and still, Yo, I saw my dad get shot right in front of me. Exactly. Like that. Instead of just respecting the fact that you said something happened to you that was traumatic to you, they'll try to one up you. And we, not just they, we all have done that or do it or we see it every day where one trauma is being one-upped by another trauma and, and we get nowhere from it so when somebody in somebody who is talking to somebody from let's say a person in, in miami is like hey man 
I just saw somebody get killed. You know, we had two of my friends got killed last month or whatever. Then somebody in Chicago would come and say, man, I ain't nothing, man. Ten of my niggas just got killed. You know, right. it's, it's like a, a it's like a competition, like a like what people call a victim Olympics. It's like black people are having a trauma off. Like yeah. we are saying, like who can have it the worst? And we all got it bad. Yeah. So, so we definitely need to stop doing that to each other because that also makes people feel like their situation is not that bad. I'm pretty sure that's what happened to you. If you grew up seeing or, or hearing about people being murdered and all this kind of stuff in Youngstown, then when you got robbed, you probably felt good. You probably was like, oh, well, at least none of us got killed. And that's why you yeah, went we back ain't get to, shot. Nobody got killed. Nobody yeah, got shot. You went back to your cereal no and you went it. back to wrestling the next day because you probably felt relieved that your situation didn't end like somebody else's who you were comparing yourself to. So no I, doubt about I definitely no feel like it. that is a major thing holding us back from seeking mental health. We don't we don't want we feel ashamed to tell somebody that we're hurting because we know people that are doing worse. But really it shouldn't be yeah. a worse or a better. Bad is bad. And the thing about it is, is there's a concept called uh, cognitive psychology, okay? So cognitive psychology talks about your perception and how you perceive things, okay? So, like, the best example usually that they use to kind of, like, illustrate this is, like, okay, take a C in a, in a class, a person getting a C in a class, okay? The C in the class that you get doesn't determine how you feel about it. It's your perception of that C. So a kid that's always got straight A's in school his whole life, he gets a C, He's going to be devastated about getting a C, okay? A kid that's always gotten straight F's his whole life, he gets a C, he's going to be ecstatic about getting a C. So it's not the C or it's not the trauma, but it's your perception of the trauma that determines how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what's happening. You know what I mean? You have all these different perceptions, uh, so you perceive things differently uh, because of what you've experienced. You know what I mean? It's not the trauma, but it's the, how, how, you, how you perceive the trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what's happening. Yep. And I would take that even a step further. It would be more than even what you have experienced. Let's just say you're the same student. You have always got all A's and then you get a C. But if everybody else in the class got an F, you'll see that as the you still feel like you're the best. Not saying, no doubt about not it. saying it, it works the same way, but it's you, you will still feel like you're better than everybody else. Because absolutely, we, we look at A's just the same way. Just because it's the best grade doesn't mean anything. Because in a class where everybody gets A's, we don't we don't value that. We value the class exactly. where we get A's where other people don't get A's. So exactly. if you get a C, and what if you got a C? Let's just say you're an F student. You got a C, and everybody else got A's. You get an A and a, a C in gym. You'll feel stupid still. Even though you get F's exactly. and every, everything else, you'll still feel bad. Exactly. So, so right. I, I like that term, cognitive psychology. It's where you're shaping your own mind based on your perception of other things. I like that. I like that. You see, hold on. What do you, What do you think about um, economic crimes? Do you feel? I mean, I won't say justified, but do you feel that? Would you feel like black people should get? Um, viewed differently when it comes to economic crimes as opposed to anybody else because our economic situation is so terrible in this country. You mean certain things like selling drugs or, or, selling or, or drug, stealing? Or yeah, yeah, things like that. Okay, I'll, I'll just tell you right now, black unemployment is at 7.3% versus okay. white unemployment at 3.7%. So we have okay. um, doubled the unemployment two times the unemployment of white people and the national uh we have three percent higher unemployment than the national average right and then um right. 
for black men is over two times the unemployment of, of uh, white men than um, black women is the same story. So right. do you think they should be viewed differently or is it, hey, still don't do it? Um, I mean, I would, always, I would always tell people, like, stay away from drugs, uh, selling drugs, those types of things, just because the consequences for it, or I, I don't, I may not necessarily agree with the consequences. The way I look at it is like, okay, this is the game. These are the rules to the game. We know the rules to the game, so you have to play the game the way it is. You know what I mean? You're not going to be able to change the rules because you didn't create the game. So you have to play the game the way it is and avoid certain things. Uh, that being said, I do find it very interesting uh, when you when you have like kids who are selling drugs or doing something like that, and may, may, say you have a kid that's fourteen, fifteen selling drugs or doing something like that, and he uh, he's he's literally using that money to feed his family. He's literally using that money uh, because you know he doesn't have a father at home, his mother is struggling, all these different types of things. These are the types of situations that kids are are are, are in, the circumstances they're in that kind of influence them to go down that road. Uh, a lot of times, we talked that most drug dealers, uh, you know, they didn't just start selling drugs because they just wanted to, uh, or because they thought it was cool. They started doing it out of out of necessity, um, or or perceived necessity at least. Uh, so I definitely think that there should be a little bit of a different way to look at it, uh, simply because you you have to take that into consideration. The person's circumstances are going to influence their decision, um, and and that's something to always consider. Yeah. It's it's just interesting to me how when you look at these rates of of unemployment, they're just so different when you when you go across the races. Even though people they like to uh, group us in with Hispanics, a lot of times Hispanics their numbers don't look anything like ours in terms of incarceration, in terms of unemployment, in terms of uh, year uh, um, net worth. They just they're just not in the situation that we're in. So. I think that needs to slow down with the with the um comparing of of just you know with the black and latino thing they, you know cuz we feel like they're cool with us so let's just all be one big happy fight but no they right. they are much closer to uh white people in terms of statistics than us and it's a lot of times Yeah, and I understand I understand the rationale behind it but I don't know that that benefits us necessarily uh, to be grouped in with everybody else. It it definitely doesn't when you look at civil rights fights and everything and stuff like um affirmative action. Um and from what I just recently learned, uh the reason that our unemployment I would say our unemployment rate is being helped right now because they don't count black men that are in prison right now. So if they counted those men because you know those those numbers are from eighteen and up. Though I mean as far as that uh prison rate, I mean the prison ages those men aren't being counted. So if they were being counted, our numbers would look a lot different. They'd be a lot worse. So they, they aren't counting those people deliberately. Right. And like I said, the, 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 it's, it, you know, it's a 600% difference. Yeah. Um, so even if you counted the, un, uh, the people that were in prison from all the different races, because of the large difference, um, that was still, you know, that, that would make the, the gap, uh, you know, substantially bigger. Uh, because of the the difference in uh, who's being incarcerated. Yeah, definitely, man. That is pretty much all we wanted to get into today, bro. You got anything you want to end on? Um, not really, man. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I thought we had a good discussion. Um, if you have any other uh, any other questions, 
or anything, or you want me to have, be on the show uh, at any other time, you know, feel free to do so. Um, and like I said, I, I enjoyed it, man. I, I enjoy, sh- you know, sharing some of my, uh, quote unquote expertise, uh, some of my experiences, uh, like I said, happy to do it. Um, and like I said, there's just so many things that we go through, uh, so many things that we experience and people kind of look at it and they say, you know, uh, you know, or they, or they say, you know, what, what your experience isn't real, what your experience is just, you know, you're just being a criminal, so on and so forth. Uh, and that's not always the case, man. I'm a pretty straightforward kid, came from a good upbringing, uh, and obviously had so many different experiences. But uh, one thing I did want to talk about, I remember I had an experience, this is just for anybody that says, when it comes to mass incarceration or how you're perceived by the police, uh, this is for anybody that says that uh, we're just making it up. So when I was in college, probably I was probably like a sophomore in college, maybe 20 years old. Me and one of my buddies, we got out of class early, okay? So he drove me. Um, we got out of class early. My car was on the other side of campus. So he drove me to my car, okay? So he pulls behind my car. Mind you, we're on campus, Washington's campus in broad daylight. So we got out of class early, so we stayed in the car, and we talked for about 20 minutes. So we just sitting there chopping it up, talking, maybe talking about girls, talking about what we're going to do this weekend, clowning, whatever the case may be, just having a regular conversation. After it's about 20 minutes, about three police cars pull in front of us, okay? They pull in front of us, speed up real quick. They hop out, guns drawn, okay? I look behind me. There's another three police cars that come behind us, okay? They, they get out of the car, guns drawn. They tell us, get out of the car, uh, so on and so forth. They put us in handcuffs. Uh, they, you know, they, so they got us, me, me, like I said, I'm a student, I'm a psychologist currently, my buddy that, uh, was with me, he's currently an engineer. So we're both good students, good guys, very well educated guys that just got caught up in this thing. So they have us in handcuffs. Okay. And they have two cops, one point has gun at me, one point has gun at him while they're searching our car. Meanwhile, they've given us no explanation for why they're doing this to us. Okay. So they're pointing their guns at us. Uh, people are walking by. You know, this is my reputation now. It's on the line. I look like I'm being arrested, like I sell drugs or something. You know, I've never committed a crime in my life. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't do anything. And it's like noon on, on, on a college campus. Um, and what ended up happening was uh, we were sitting in the car, quote, unquote, too long. And someone, I guess, walked by and said that we looked suspicious. Uh, so that was the response by the police force to come up, draw guns at us, handcuff us, search the car, have us in handcuffs with guns pointed at us so that we couldn't move, all because we were sitting in the car looking suspicious. Obviously, they didn't find anything in the car. We didn't have anything. We were just students. Uh, after it all happened, we got to uh, we got to show them our YSU IDs to prove that we were students at YSU, and the police ended up apologizing for it. But I would just wonder if there were two 20-year-old white guys sitting in a car on a, on a college campus, one, would anybody have called to say that they look suspicious. Two, if somebody did call and say they look suspicious, would the police have come and responded in the way they responded to us uh, for sitting on this campus too long? And like I said, we were uh, tuition-paying students on this campus, but this was the experience that we had. Like I said, I'm currently licensed as a psychologist. My buddy that was with me, he's an engineer currently working uh, as an engineer right now, chemical engineer actually, uh, not, a, not an easy uh, field to be in, a very intelligent guy. Uh, we were good students, uh, tuition-paying uh, students on campus, and that's how we were treated. Uh, I believe because of the color of our color of our skin. Um, so, say if you know I didn't do anything, I'm a tax-paying citizen, and I resist when this cop is trying to pull me out of this car and I get shot. 
now you see how something could happen, and I have a reason to be angry because I didn't do anything. So if they're trying to pull me out of the car and pointing guns at me, if I respond and say, hey, I didn't do anything and I resist, uh, I get shot because I resisted, and that's kind of how some of these things happen. So for anybody that thinks that it's all just made up, uh, take it for myself, never committed a crime a day in my life. I've had, I've been on my knees with, in handcuffs with a gun pointed at my head by the police, uh, all because I was sitting on my college campus that I pay tuition to go for in a car in broad daylight at noon for too long, quote unquote. Yeah, man. And it's really sad that you have to try, um, not just you, black people have to qualify first. I'm just a good student. I'm a, I'm a psychologist. My friend's an engineer. Like we have to make it known first that we're good people right. before somebody will right. care about what the police might do to us. You understand what I'm exactly. saying? That's the craziest exactly. part about the situation. Like you have to qualify. Yeah, I shouldn't even have to say that. I should have. I've never. I haven't. I didn't do anything. Right. I'm not, I don't have any weapons or any drugs on me or anything. So it doesn't matter what I do for a living. It doesn't matter what my friend does for a living. It's that, that's that's irrelevant. Right. It should be irrelevant. Right. We didn't do anything. But as black people, and more specifically black men, because we get attacked so much by the police, we do have to tell them, hey, I'm, I'm a good person. Look, look, I'm, I'm a college kid and all this other stuff. The fact that they made you show the IDs after they harassed you is the craziest part about it. But yeah, you man. still have to show that you're a good, per a good black one. You're one of the good black right. ones. You understand? Exactly. Because they, they definitely want to violate and, 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 you. And that's not out of me trying to be better than anybody else. Yeah. That's just out of simple survival and self-preservation because I got these guns pointed at me and I have to try to make sure that I don't get killed um, in, in this exchange. And like I said, I mean, uh, I just want to give you a visual. We're on, we're on college on college campus, YSU's campus, a four-year, like you said, four-year university. There's people walking by, other students, other people driving by. I'm on my knees in handcuffs with a cop with his gun pointed at me and I have not committed any crime at all whatsoever. Right. I'm not committed. Any, somebody walked by and they called the police and said that we look suspicious. And that's the way they responded. That's the way they responded to us. And like I said, nothing even came of it. I mean, we were young guys. We probably could have maybe pursued it and maybe tried to, you know, or something. We didn't. We just like, like you said, we just moved on from it. Mm -hmm. We just moved on. We talked about earlier. We didn't. We didn't call the, the campus newspaper. We didn't call the vindicator, the Youngstown newspaper. We didn't call the news. We didn't try to file any type of a uh, grievance. We just moved. We just moved the fuck on, man. Mm -hmm. We just dealt with it. We and, just dealt and with. And that's it. crazy. And that's one of being that police are shooting and killing so many people. We only that's the only type of police brutality we look at. But what those cops did to you that day, that's police brutality. Brutality. That's police brutality. Man. Yeah, that's abuse of power. That's police brutality, and that happens. Uh, that that right there is uncountable. That happens so right. many times; it's uncountable. We only count who right. they murder. We're not counting who they assault. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. People they assault and right. then just let go and say, okay, well, yeah, we didn't find nothing. They just let you go. Never had a warrant to mm -hmm. search anything. They just like, oh, okay, my bad, and peace. Go ahead. Go about your day. That's basically what happened because the police were apologetic about it, you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, after they searched the car, didn't find anything. I mean, there were, I mean, the scene was like they just busted two kingpins. Or two like murderous, uh, you know, the scene was crazy. I mean, there's like six, seven police cars, uh, search dogs, all kind of stuff, man. I mean, it was crazy. I'm talking crazy. The scene that you was, you would think, man, these two dudes did something. Like if you ride past, you just ride past. You just a, 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 a bystander. You ride. You say, hey, them, them two dudes did something, man. I don't know what they did, but they did something. And we did absolutely nothing. But that was kind of one of the things the police made an assumption about us. Okay, 
Um, they were wrong in their assumption. They apologized for it. So uh, us being the gracious guys that we are, we just basically accepted their apology. You know, we just basically accepted their apology. Yep. You know, black people, we, and, we're and, too good and, sometimes. You know what Drake and Rihanna say? I'm too good to you. <laughs> they said it. Yeah. This is real, man. That's crazy. It is, man. All right. It so is. you want the people to follow you or you want to kind of stay low? Uh, I usually like to stay low, man. I usually like to stay low. Uh, you know, I, I ain't really out here too much as far as that type of thing. But like I said, if you ever want me back on the show, even if you want me just to buzz in right quick and answer any questions that deal with psychology, like I said, I do work with kids. Uh, like I said, I'm a school psychologist. I identify students with uh, intellectual uh, learning and behavioral disabilities. That's what I do uh, on a day-to-day basis. So if you're ever talking about anything that involves uh, anything like that, education, or, uh, uh, or or child uh, uh, disorders or disabilities, uh, feel free to give me a call, and I'd be happy to come back on the show. All right, bro. I appreciate it, man. We're going to wrap the show up like that. See y'all next week. Peace. Yes, sir.